When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine was great in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan to buy food? They replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. Good morning. Uh, Dave Higler is a uh, umpire, baseball umpire, adult baseball umpire in Boulder, Colorado. He tells of a time that he was speeding, got pulled over by a police officer who was going too fast for those conditions of snow in Boulder, and he was pleading for mercy. Please, I'm a good driver. I don't usually speed. I'll do better next time. I don't want my insurance to go up. Can you just give me a warning? Deaf ears. I mean, no mercy from this guy. He just writes out a ticket and says, maybe the judge will give you some mercy. Hagler writes, the first game of the next baseball season, I'm umpiring behind the plate. And guess who is coming to bat in the first inning of this game? Officer, no mercy. I recognize him. He recognizes me. He asks, so how did everything go with that ticket? I say, swing at everything. <laughs> Everybody has an officer, no mercy. You know, that person who has hurt you, has frustrated you, and you just want to get, but you just have a hard time forgiving. Who is that person in your life? When I talk about struggling to forget somebody that you need to forgive, who comes to mind? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a whole group of people. If you're an Orioles fan, you're thinking entire Yankees organization. You know, maybe you're thinking preachers. I just kind of don't like preachers, whatever. Who, who is that person? Who are those people you're struggling to forgive? That's what we need to talk about today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, defiling many. Leon, Dr. Leon Saul, a psychiatrist, makes this argument. I believe that man's hostility to man is the central problem in human affairs. It's a disease to be cured and prevented like cancer, TB, smallpox. And that its cure will result in healthier, better living, not only for society in general, but for each individual in particular. Who has hurt you? The Bible warns us that if we don't deal with our bitterness, it will defile many. Aren't we seeing that today? There's so much anger and bitterness that it's dividing friends and families, churches, the nation. We need to learn to deal with it. That's why I'm really glad that we have scriptural 
leading on this. That's very clear. Uh, Genesis 5, I'm sorry, Galatians 5.13 says, the law is fulfilled, up in, fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. Well, if anybody ever had an entitlement to bitterness and revenge, that person was Joseph. We are getting close to the end of our series here on the story of this Old Testament hero, Joseph. Um, and Joseph had every reason to be bitter. When he's 17 years old, his brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to work for a master in Egypt, gets falsely accused of rape, gets thrown into prison. While he's in prison, he gets to know a couple of pharaohs, close officials. They have bad dreams. He interprets the dreams. He says to one of them, once you get close to Pharaoh, would you tell him, I'm not here, I'm here unjustly. Would you plead my case for him? The guy gets back to Pharaoh, forgets Joseph completely. Two years later, Pharaoh has a couple of bad dreams. Nobody can interpret them. Now he remembers Joseph. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, interprets the dreams correctly. And we saw last week that Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of Egypt. Pharaoh's dreams are that there are, uh, the interpretation, there are going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Joseph suggests the plan. Pharaoh says, you're in charge of the plan. Nine years now have passed since that conversation. For seven years, Joseph has been the czar of collecting the grain, preparing for the famine. Now they're two or three years into that famine. And it's not just Egypt that's experiencing the famine. The entire ancient Near Eastern world is. That's why people from all over the ancient Near Eastern world are coming to Egypt at this point. And who are they coming to? They're coming to Pharaoh. And who should show up 20 years after selling little brother into slavery? Joseph's older brothers show up and bow down before him. How would, how would you respond? Let's look at how Joseph responds and see what God would teach us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for Joseph's example. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is in this place, empowers your word. Speak to us, Lord, make us wise, help us to think like Christ and to, to take action like Christ. And not to be conformed to the world around us, but to be conformed to Christ. Through Christ we pray, amen. Chapter 42, verse 6 says, Joseph was in charge of the country. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Joseph now is about 40 years old. His brothers don't recognize him, and why would they? Last time they saw him, he was wearing Hebrew clothes. Now he's wearing Egyptian clothes. Last time they saw him, he was wearing the chains of a slave. Now he's wearing the gold chain of Pharaoh. Now he looks like an Egyptian. He's shaven, like clean shaven like an Egyptian. He's speaking Egyptian. He even, thank you, walks like an Egyptian probably. <laughs> I'm glad three of us would get that. Um, um, and so of course, and, 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 and now he's 40 years old. He was a teen before. I, I've been told that there are some strange things that happen to our bodies between our teens and, and 20. Somebody, somebody said there are three, three stages to life, youth, middle age, and you're looking good. 
Joseph is not quite to the looking good stage, but he isn't recognized by his brothers. What would you do? How would you have responded if you were Joseph at this point? What a wonderful opportunity for just a little bit of payback. You know, how about a little verbal revenge? I would have been tempted to say, hey, remember when you guys laughed at my dreams? Look who's laughing now. Remember when I begged you for food and you didn't give me any food? Look who's begging now. We're so good at finding different ways to get revenge, sophisticated ways. Financial revenge. I've heard that the three most common sentences in the United States are, what time is it? How do I lose weight? And you'll hear from my attorney. There's cold shoulder revenge that people get. You know, we know we shouldn't like yell and curse and hit people over the head with a bowling pin. Or, uh, but, but what do we do? Instead, we just don't talk to them anymore. We just kind of give them the silent treatment. All kinds of passive aggressive ways to get revenge. I heard about a wife who told her husband she was so disgusted with him that when he died, she was going to dance on his grave. Immediately he went out and made arrangements to be buried at sea. You're as shallow as I am if you enjoy that. Joseph has a perfect opportunity for some kind of revenge here, but he doesn't take it. Neither does he immediately see, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. Why? I think it's because he has lots of questions that need to get answered, and he knows if he just comes out and says, I'm Joseph, they'll answer the questions the best they can to please him. He wants to know, have they changed? Is my dad alive? Is Benjamin alive? How are they treating Benjamin? Have they Can I trust them? And so Joseph sets up a series of tests here, not to trap them, but to see how he responds. They respond to see if he can trust them. First test, verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the weaknesses, the weakness of this land. Now, what you're going to notice here is that Joseph puts them through a series of tests that kind of put a mirror in front of them. They're going to experience the similar things that they had Joseph experience. Verse 10. No, my Lord, your servant... By the way, remember when Joseph used to spy on them for their dad and they didn't like it? Then he continues. Your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants are not spies. We're really just hungry and needing food. Remember, they threw Joseph in the pit and they went off to eat a meal and they didn't feed anything to Joseph. Now they're pleading, give us something to eat. No, Joseph said, you've come here to see the weakness of the land. Verse 13, they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. Joseph realizes dad's still alive. The youngest is now with our father. Benjamin is still alive, and he's receiving favored treatment. Dad didn't let Benjamin take this trip. Dad's protecting Benjamin in a way that he's not protecting the other. And one is no longer living. Oh, Joseph. They told Dad I'm dead. No wonder Dad didn't come look for me. Then Joseph said to them, verse 14, I have spoken, you are spies. This is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother 
comes here. And Joseph throws them in jail for three days, just like he was thrown into the pit waiting for their decision. At first, Joseph says, the plan is for one of you to go home, all of you stay. Now he says, changes the plan. I'm going to let all of you go home, one of you stays. After three days, the plan changes. Remember when they kept changing the plan with Joseph? Let's kill him. No, let's throw him into the pit. No, let's sell him to the Midianites. Verse 20, bring your younger, youngest brother to me so that your words can be confirmed. Then you won't die. And they consented to this like they had any choice. <laughs> it's like, what else are they going to do? So Simeon is bound in front of them just as Joseph had been bound in front of them 20 years earlier. How do we know that Joseph is showing them a mirror? Verse 21, they said to each other, Obviously, we were being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That's why this trouble has come on us. But Reuben, the oldest, replied, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must account for his blood. They didn't realize that Joseph, Joseph understood them because there had been an interpreter between them. And now he turned away from them and wept. Joseph wasn't happy that they were experiencing this grief. Joseph wasn't delighting in this. He wasn't looking for revenge. He wept. He didn't want them to suffer, but he did want to learn if he could trust them. He weeps. <clears throat> you know how they have those self-checkout stations at the at the um, at like Walmart and those places now? They have more of those. As a result of that, they're having increased theft. So one of the things that some of these places have done with the checkout, the self-checkout stations is they've put mirrors there because psychologically they've discovered that people feel guilty when they look in mirrors. I know I do. But it's the idea of, they say psychologically there's a self-awareness that's increased when people see themselves in a mirror. And as a result, people are less apt to do things like cheat and steal if they can see themselves in a mirror. Joseph is letting them see themselves in a mirror and all of a sudden, they're seeing themselves. There's a self-awareness. And he sees they're feeling some, some guilt. And that's not a bad thing. Carl Jung said, Through pride, we are ever deceiving ourselves. But deep down below the surface of the average conscience, a still small voice says to us, something is out of tune. A deep voice inside of them is saying, Something is out of tune. You know, the Bible is a mirror. The book of James says the Bible is a mirror that we look at. And if we see ourselves reflected in the Bible as we ought to, sometimes it tells us something's not right. You know, pain is a good thing. Pain is what keeps us from injuring ourselves or injuring ourselves more deeply. If you don't feel pain, that's not healthy. That could lead to death. And if people never feel spiritual pain, that's not a good thing. That could very well be a sign that that part of your heart is dead spiritually. We live in a world 
that would numb your heart. Satan wants you to feel guilt so that it's overwhelming or numbness so you ignore it and can die. Jesus wants to redeem your guilt, which means you allow, you allow yourself to experience honestly and then you seek his forgiveness and redemption. There's some people that just don't feel spiritual guilt like they should and they never change. Some people never get baptized, and yet they don't feel guilty about it when they should. It's not a sign of health. It's a sign that just part of your heart has died. Is there a part of your heart that's died? Because if you really looked in the mirror of Scripture, you'd realize, I need to change. But how joyful, Psalm 23, 32 says, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The brothers feel guilt. Joseph knows there's hope. So Joseph sends them on their way with the silver that they had tried to use to pay for the grain. On the way home, they open the sacks, they see the silver at the top of the sacks, and they think, oh no, the Egyptians already think that we are spies. Now they're going to think we stole this grain, we kept our, we, uh, Simeon is toast, we're done. That sets them up for the next test. Back home, the famine is devastating. Jacob's family once again runs out of food. The sons, and Jacob says, you need to go back to Egypt. The sons say, dad, we can't go back. The Egyptians said that we can't go back without, without uh, Benjamin or, or we all die. And Jacob essentially says, I've lost Joseph. I've lost Simeon over my dead body. Am I going to risk losing Benjamin? But I suspect the famine got so great for them, Jacob realized Benjamin's going to starve to death anyway. Might as well risk sending him. Back in Egypt, Joseph shocks them. Expecting, they're expecting to be treated by like, like, like suspects and Joseph treats them like kings. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin was with them, he said to his steward, Take the men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare it, for they will eat me. Eat, eat, they will eat with me at noon. The man, the man did this, as Joseph had said, and brought them to Joseph's house. But his brothers were afraid because they were being taken to Joseph's house. They said, "We have been brought here because of the silver that was returned in our bags the first time. They intend to overpower us, to seize us, to make us slaves, to take our donkeys." They're petrified as they head to the palace because they know they're not following God, candidly. They're, they've been living their lives without. When you live your life without God, you head in the future with great fear because you're alone. Everything is fear. Everything is terrorizing because you have to control it on your own. But when the Lord is our shepherd, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because he's with us. Oh, how we need to walk with Christ. Verse 23 Joseph, Joseph's stewards tell them, don't worry about it. Um, God, your God, the God of your father must have put the treasure back in your bag. I, re I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the gift that they had carried into the house and they bowed down to the ground before him. He asked, how was your elderly father? that you told me about? Is he still alive? 
They answered, your, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They knelt low and paid, paid homage to him. Then Joseph walks over to his little brother, Benjamin. Hadn't seen Benjamin in 20 years. Then he looked up and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. I wonder if he can see his mother's resemblance in Benjamin. He asked, is this your youngest brother that you told me about? He said, God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. And he was about to weep. He came into the inner room and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, regaining his composure, said, serve the meal. Appreciate the dynamics of this meal. Verse 32. They served Joseph by himself and his brothers by themselves. They're in separate rooms, but Joseph can overhear them because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews since that is detestable to them. They're speaking Hebrew, probably assuming that Joseph can't understand their language. Verse 33, they, set, they, they were seated before him in order by age from firstborn to the youngest and the men looked at each other in astonishment. How in the world does he know? Portions were served to them from Joseph's table and Benjamin's portion was five times larger than any of theirs. Now, if you have two children and five cookies, how are you going to divide them? You don't give four and a half to one and a half to the other. You know that's going to be trouble. Joseph received favorite treatment from his dad when he was a kid, and, and the brothers talked about it. They were overwhelmed with anger about it. Benjamin here receives five times more. How are they going to respond? Joseph listens. No griping, no whining, no anger. After the meal, he releases them to go home, and they are ecstatic. Simeon is with them. Benjamin is with them. They have more grain in their, in their, in their bags. Everything, things, everything went well. Things could not have gone better. But they're not far outside of town before the police pull them over. Verse 4, halfway down of chapter 4 says, they, they basically come to them and say, why have you paid evil for good? Joseph did so much for you, and you took his special cup. And they're like, no, we didn't. They're just incredulous. In fact, they make this stupid vow. They're so convinced of their innocence. They say, if you can find that cup in anybody's sack, then that person dies. So they search the bags, verse 11. Very quickly, they lowered their sacks. They wanted to get this over with as fast as possible so they could get back home. Verse 12, the, the steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. The police say, the rest of you can go home. The boy stays. Now, if this had been Joseph 20 years earlier and the sons had an opportunity to get rid of him like this, they would have taken it in a second. How will they react? Verse 13, they tore their clothes and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Standing now in front of Joseph, Judah steps forward. Remember, Judah is the one who 20 years earlier said, let's sell him to the Midianites. Judah is the one, there's an entire chapter, chapter 38 of Genesis is devoted 
for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is just to show us what a horrible human being Judah is. And now Judah steps forward. Verse 18, my Lord, he says to Joseph, please let your servant speak personally. Do not be angry with your servant for you are like Pharaoh. We have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He's the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. They go on to say, we, we, before we came down, we told our father, or our father told us, if you also take this one from me and anything happens to him, you'll bring my gray hairs down to death, to Sheol and sorrow. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, and his life is wrapped up in the boy's life, when he sees that the boy is not with us, He'll die. I can't go back home. If I go back home without Benjamin, it'll crush my dad. And I just can't see that again. Sir, can I make a proposal? Verse 33. Now, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Sir, this boy is so precious to my dad. I'd rather, I would rather die than go home without him. You ever wonder why the Messiah came through the line of Judah? God set up a patriarchal system. According to that system, the Messiah should have come through Reuben. Or maybe even through the Levites, Levi, because they were the priests. Why Judah? <laughs> First, because of the grace of God. But I think, I think because of this moment. Judah provides for us a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. See, we stand condemned And Jesus comes in and he steps forward and he says, I can't bear the thought of these people facing eternity without the Father, separated from the Father. That would crush the Father. Take me instead. Judah says, let Benjamin go, I'll stay. Chapter 45, verse one, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants, and so he called out, send everybody away from me. Nobody was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Can you imagine what the brothers are thinking? <laughs> it's for Joseph, I mean, what a moment. For 20 years, he has been sad and lonely and longed to be, see his dad, longed to see his little brother. And now he sees his little brother, and he, but he's weeping, and the brothers are like, this guy's lost his mind. You know, he's like, what in the world's going on? Verse, 30, th verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, in Hebrew, I take it, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? 
They couldn't answer him because they were terrified in his presence. You bet they were. Um, I got to tell you, sir, I remember years ago, Vince Antonucci and I were playing basketball pickup game in the afternoon against a couple of guys, a couple of guys a little taller than we were. We're like, hey, you want to play? We'll pick up two on two. Sure. Okay. We beat them the first game. They couldn't believe that we beat them. We'll, we'll take you on again. A couple of short guys, whatever. And again, but these guys were foul. I mean, they cursed a little bit the first game, but the more we beat them, the more they cursed. And it was just like foul. I mean, just, just language was awful. After the second game, after we beat them the second time, they stop and they kind of look at us and they say, so what are you all doing? So you're out here playing basketball at four o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday. Vince says, we're preachers. The one guy, I mean, they just look dumbfounded. The one guy's like, I can't believe we just lost two games to two preachers who are shorter than we are. The other guy was like, I'm thinking about the language that I, all those words, I'm going straight to hell. I'm sure about that. They, these guys are dumbfounded. It's like, I can't believe what we did to this guy. This is Joseph. This is the one that we betrayed. This is the one that we sold into slavery. They're terrified. Can you imagine what it's going to be like the day that Jesus shows up as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? He's going to show up someday. Can you imagine how dumbfounded people are going to be who did not take him seriously? Who did not expect him to come back and to see him as King of Kings? Who defied him? Who denied him? Can you imagine how dumbfounded they're going to be that day? Do you have any loved ones who are going to be terrorized that day? Do you love them enough? I hope you love them enough to say something. I love Joseph's emotional intelligence here. <laughs> Verse 4. Joseph says to his brothers, please come near me. They came near. I am Joseph, your brother the one you sold into slavery. Yeah, we know you, <laughs> so what we did. Now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me the father to Pharaoh, Lord of the entire of his entire household, ruler over all Egypt. Does God cause the bad stuff to happen? No, the Bible says God doesn't tempt, God doesn't dabble in evil, but God does know all things and God does have a, in his sovereignty allows things to happen. God knew where Joseph needed to be and there were many ways for Joseph to get there. Just because scientists know if you combine two chemicals, it's gonna cause an explosion, doesn't mean they've caused the explosion because of their knowledge. Just because God knows what's going to happen doesn't mean he's caused it. It's complicated stuff, I know. But Joseph basically is saying, listen, God is in control. He's, been, he's taken your evil actions to turn them to good. Verse 14. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked to him. And he tells them, listen, we, we, we have five more years of famine ahead of us. Go home, bring your families back, bring dad back, and you can live here through this time. Verse 24 is wonderful. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't argue on the way. Isn't that great? 
Isn't that emotional intelligence? He's, he knows what's going to happen. They're going to leave and say, I told you not to do that. I told you not. We shouldn't have done that. I can't believe it. And Joseph's like, hey, the past is the past. Let's let it go. Okay, let's not dwell on it. Don't beat each other up on it. Let's move forward together. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 26. They went back home. They told dad Joseph's alive. Jacob doesn't believe him. He's kind of, don't joke with me like that. Finally, he does believe him. Verse 28, enough. My son Joseph is alive. I will go see him before I die. And as Genesis 45 ends, Jacob and his family are in Egypt and the family is reunited together, and, <laughs> and they live in harmony. Think about it, a harmony they've never experienced before. Even when Joseph was at home, they never had the harmony that they have now. And it's all because of the grace of Joseph. They deserve justice. He gives them forgiveness. He gives them gifts. Now, we're going to pick it up there next week, but as, what can we learn about Joseph's example to forgive. Who is that person that you're struggling to forgive? That group of people that you have a hard time forgiving? I don't have time to go into any detail. I'm going to do that in devotion this week. Just let me share with you a couple of quick hits. First of all, first of all, um, be honest about the hurt. Don't minimize the hurt. Don't lie about it. Second, try to imagine being on the other person's side. It is really hard to forgive if you feel like you're superior to the other people. You, the person that you're forgetting, I would never have done that. I would, well, maybe you wouldn't have. But you don't know how much they've struggled with their temptation. You don't know how you would react if you were in their exact situation. Maybe you wouldn't have behaved quite as well. So rather than being judgmental, she said, we need to be understanding. Love others as others, do unto others as others would do to you, as you would have others do to you. Second, third, forgiveness means giving up my right to retaliation. God says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is counterculture. We live in a day that says, if you have been hurt, hurt back. If you have been hurt, get your pound of flesh. If somebody in the past has been hurt, you make sure they pay, and they pay you back. And the problem with that is, although the, the, uh, there's maybe a little bit of a temporary emotional satisfaction, it is divisive, and it will crush the spirit. It doesn't bring healing. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. The final thing that I would say is pray for, your, pray for God to bless your offender. Matthew 5, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Forgiveness is such an ethereal thing. It's like, how do I know that I've really forgiven? First of all, take action despite your feelings. God bless this person. That person that you are really hurt by, have been really hurt by, you pray, God bless that person. Now, maybe you want to pray one of those precatory psalms, God, get this person. Okay, but pray, God bless this person. Pray. And you really know that forgiveness is starting to take hold in your heart when you actually feel the desire for that person to be blessed by God. It's going to take time. Give yourself time. Who do you need to forgive? How do you need to start right now? Nancy wrote a letter to her pastor. True story. She said, when my mother died after a two-year battle with cancer, I lost my major source of love. After a full year of solitude, my father was ready to live again. 
he asked my sister and me for permission to date a woman in the church, and we were fine with the idea. And just a few months later, my daddy was in love. He asked me to take him to a card shop so he could purchase cards to send to her. And I watched as my father experienced a love that I had never seen him share with my mother, and a seed of bitterness began to grow. My father married the woman, and I had never seen him so happy. A few weeks after their marriage, I received a birthday card to a wonderful daughter, it said. It was lovely, except for the fact that it was signed by my dad and her. I was offended. How could he replace my mother so easily? In my anger, I planned to bring up the topic in our next phone call. But on the morning of the call, the Holy Spirit stopped me. Holy Spirit nudged, can you simply be happy for the pure love and joy your father has found after such sorrow? Your mother's in heaven now, free and peaceful. She's not holding on to any of this, so why are you? I heard his voice clearly and as I was able to release my anger at that point and enjoy a pleasant conversation with my father, 10 days later, 10 days later, I got a call. This one telling me my father had had an aneurysm and died. The sorrow and shock were surreal. But in the midst of the chaos, I could thank God for restraining me that morning 10 days earlier. The Holy Spirit had warned me it made it possible for me to have delightful memories of our last conversations instead of bitter rancor and regrets. And she closed by saying, we must all realize that we don't always have time left in which to forgive and to save ourselves from bitterness. Is God calling you to forgive somebody right now and to let it go? Start today. Heavenly Father, forgiveness is something that we can only do because you show us the way, because you have forgiven us. There's nobody who has ever sinned against any of us the way that we have sinned against you. Nobody has ever hurt us, offended us as we offend you, and yet you are so gracious, and we expect that because we know that you are great, and so we throw ourselves before you. Lord, if there is a sin that I can get comfortable with, it's bitterness. If there is a disobedience to you that is easy to rationalize, it's carrying a hurt from the past that you would want me to let go. And Lord, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not alone in this room. So, would you speak, would, you, would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Wash us in your graciousness to us and then help us to extend that, what we've experienced from you, to extend that to, to those around. Through Christ we pray, amen.